Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And it's so good to have you guys with us here today. If it's your first Sunday with us, man, welcome home. We're just so glad you're here. I hope that multiple people made you feel wanted and welcomed here today. Last weekend, Rail and I, my wife, we were out. We were in California. As Robbie mentioned last week, we were celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the church that we were at before coming here that, that sent us and sponsored us in our church plant here in Asheville. And so, man, we just, uh, we just had an amazing time celebrating all that God has done and preparing for all God is going to do. So Echo Church and Pastor Andy, we love you guys. We honor you. We're so excited for what God is doing there and what he's going to be doing next. Well, today, before I get started, I want to let you know that it's a good day to be at the Gathering Church because today is step one of Growth Track. Now, if you've never been through Growth Track before, let me tell you, we've got a a, a simple path that we want to take you down at the Gathering Church. We've got a simple pathway that we want to walk with you that most of us in this room are on here today. And it's just very simply to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. And we believe that through Growth Track, we we can lead each other to discover our purpose. We don't think that in a four-week class that a a couple of hours together we can fully help you completely understand everything about your purpose and why you're here, but what we do believe is that we can give you a glimpse. We can get you started. We can help you see that your design reveals your destiny and give you the stepping blocks you need to start making a difference the way you were made to. And so if you've never been to Growth Track or even if you've got questions about it, Step One's a great place to start. Or if you've got questions about our church, I'll share a little bit about my story and our story and why and how we started this church here and uh, tell you a little bit about who God's called us to be and where we're going in that step one course. So if you've had any questions about any of that, today is the day to go to Growth Track. It'll be at 1230 right out these doors uh, following this service. We'll have lunch and child care provided. And so join us for that. Well, today... Uh, I want you to know that we just finished what I would call a culture-defining series that really communicates who we are and how we care for people at the Gathering Church and what it really means when we say find freedom. Last week, Pastor Robbie taught a message, and if you were not here for it, if you missed it, I really encourage you to go to our website, go to our podcast, and watch or listen to this message. It will change you. It will change perspectives. This series, if you want to know who we are really, go listen to it and it will point you in the right direction. Now, so far, what we've been doing this year has been strategic. We started off this year with a series called Uphill Habits. And we talked about four habits that we believe if we can really implement as we start our year will change the direction of our lives. This last series that we did was based on habit number four, which was about building relationships. The series we're starting today is based on habit number three, which is to align my life with my purpose. We're going to spend a few weeks talking specifically about purpose. You know, I, I, was, uh, I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida for a season of time, and across the bridge in Tampa, Florida, they had a dog track. Now listen, before you judge me, I was not a follower of Jesus yet, 
and I didn't have very many moral standards to speak of. So I went to this dog track once uh, to do a little bit of gambling and to watch these dogs run really fast. Listen, I'm not promoting dog racing. I don't believe it's great or right or, you know, the poor dogs. I feel so. Anyways, I'm at this dog track and I put a, a significant amount of money down on one specific dog. And so I'm very invested in what's happening. And what they do, if you've never been to a dog track, you've got to go. And, and what they do, <laughs> what they do in these dog races is there's this mechanical white rabbit. And when they open the gates, this white rabbit shoots forward and the dogs are all chasing this rabbit as fast as they can. And that's why they're running. That's what they're, there's no jockey riding on the dogs. That would be inhumane. The dogs are running as fast as they can to catch this toy. And what happened on the day that I was there was this mechanical rabbit broke. It stopped running. And what happened next was almost comical because these dogs needed a reason to keep moving forward. And when that rabbit stopped, one of them attacked it immediately, and the rabbit was done. And the rest of the dogs just gave up. Many of them sat, one of them just laid down like he was ready for a nap. One of them wandered into the midfield area and started sniffing around to go to the bathroom. They just either wandered aimlessly or they stopped where they were while their handlers all ran out to try and get them together so that they could fix this thing so we could all continue gambling immorally. <laughs> what we want to talk about in this series is why it is so important to have something in front of you to keep you moving forward. What we want to talk about through the course of this series is what it looks like to actually align your life with a purpose in such a way that it gives you something to chase. You see, we, we believe that the mission of our church, of any church, is to help you understand that you can have a real, intimate, personal, life-changing relationship with Jesus. We believe it will change everything about who you are. We believe that it doesn't stop there. That beyond having a relationship with Jesus, he wants you to break free from the things that have held you back your entire life, that he offers freedom. That's why we want to lead you to find freedom. And outside of even that, what, beyond breaking free from habit, addiction, mindsets that have held you back from, from, from all the things that keep us from becoming who we're made to be, we believe you were made to do something, made to be somebody that you were created on purpose for a purpose that you have an assignment to do. That God didn't just call you and rescue you to sit in the midfield, but that he wants you to passionately pursue a purpose that is going to glorify him, serve other people, and make him famous wherever you are. And so what we want to do in this series, very simply, is for the next few weeks, study a book of the Bible which gives us a great example to follow in pursuing purpose. We want to talk about passion purpose and vision over the next couple weeks and the difference between those three things and why they are so important to our lives. We'll be studying the book of Nehemiah through this series. Now, Nehemiah is one of these Old Testament books, and he's actually one of the last guys to be written about before Jesus came. Most of the, or all the books after Nehemiah, uh, chronologically speaking, are prophetic books, and so they're, they're talking about what's coming next, who's coming next, and so he's one of the last stories that we get. He lived around the 5th century B.C. Here's a brief history. I didn't bring a whiteboard, so try to keep up. This is going to be kind of a history class for a few minutes. 
The Israelites were the people of God chosen by God to reveal himself to the world. You see, for many, many years, they had a very special relationship with God because it was through them that he had this master plan to save the world and bring us back to himself. Their mission, what they were supposed to do, was pursue him and pursue him only. But they really struggled to be the only monotheistic society in the region that they lived in. They were constantly finding idols to pursue outside of their pursuit of God. We are still called to pursue God only today. And just like they did, we get distracted by all these idols as well. But for us, it's not idols like Baal or Molech. It's idols like Apple or Samsung or, 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 or ambition or celebrity or money or authority or position or that awful one, comfort. As a wake-up call for the people of God and in preparation for the coming Messiah, God let their whole world get flipped upside down around the 6th century BC when they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians were one of the first great conquering empires, conquered the whole known world at the time. They went into Jerusalem, the city of God, the place where God's holy temple was, and initially they were just going to occupy, but then the people of God resisted, and so the Babylonian emperor decided to make an example of the city of Jerusalem. He destroyed it. He tore down the walls. In that time, the wall around your city was the most important part of your city because it protected you from the dangers outside. They tore down and destroyed the walls, the citadels, the fortresses, any military building within that city. And then all the buildings that were attached to the walls and the citadels and the fortresses were destroyed as well. He also went in and in an effort to really decentralize these people, destroyed the temple of God in its entirety. He then exiled the people living there, taking some of them, the more wealthy nobles, into captivity to integrate into Babylonian culture. This lasted for 70 years, for 70 years. And then under King Darius, a Persian emperor, see what happened was the Babylonians were the jam. And then the Persians, remember the movie 300, the guy with the ring from his ear to his nose, the Persian empire, they came and conquered the Babylonians and now the Persians are in charge. The Persian emperor Darius decides to release the people of Israel who are in captivity and exile and tell them they can return home to Jerusalem. So they returned home, but they were a changed people. They'd been living among other peoples of other religions and had turned their back on the one true God who had delivered them all those years prior. They rebuilt their temple after some time, a couple decades went by, And they got permission to rebuild their temple. But once they rebuilt it, they brought in all of these idols and other beliefs that they had been living with inside of it. They intermarried with people from other religions and cultures. And in so doing, allowed the idols of those people to enter their homes, their lives, their hearts. Most of the city of Jerusalem was still in ruin. It was unprotected from outside invasion, and the walls were not rebuilt. It was like this for 90 years. 90 years, a long time. A generation passed in complacency. Here's the thing. God had big dreams for the people of Israel, just like he has big dreams for you, but life got in the way. 
One bad decision led to another, and over time, it felt like they'd gone too far in the wrong direction to ever find their way back. Each and every single one of us in this room were created, designed, and called to a purpose. You have a purpose. Before you had a pulse, you have a purpose. Every single one of us, no matter where you've been, what you've done, who you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, in front of you is a purpose you were made to come into. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This comes from Jeremiah to the people of Israel in the beginning of this season. It was in this time that God needed to remind them that there were good plans ahead of them. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you still have a purpose in front of you. God still has dreams for you bigger than anything you could ever imagine. But unfortunately, what happens is, just like what happened to the Israelites, sometimes things get in our way. Like our passion tends to get misplaced. Our passion gets misplaced. Our gifts and our passions were given to us by our creator to serve the purpose he's created us for. But what can happen is those very same passions that were placed there to serve something good get misplaced in the wrong direction. In the case of the Israelites, after years of subjugation and disappointment, they just didn't know how to get back to the dreams that God had for them. They didn't know how to keep going under the promise they were given so many years ago. Same thing happens to us. We start out with so much potential inside of us. Our dreams, our passions, our desires, all just leading us towards the right place. But so often in life, they get distracted, knocked off course by ambition or desire, tragedy, life experiences, exposure to different things. And something happens that sends us off on a different direction and sends our passion down the wrong path. Like a passion for leadership that turns into a passion for position. Or a passion for music that becomes a passion for platform. Or a passion for giving which becomes a passion for earning. And these misplaced passions lead us towards unused potential. And then what can happen is our purpose gets complacent. Our purpose gets complacent. Maybe you have discovered your purpose. Some point along the way, maybe it was here, maybe before you came, you know your why. You know what you were put on this earth for. You know the thing that drives you. Maybe you got in that purpose for a while, but you never challenged yourself to grow in your purpose. You never moved forward in that purpose. You never pursued that purpose. And you caught a glimpse of it, but instead of developing it or stretching your dreams... You became complacent in your purpose. The people of Israel returned to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile, and they rebuilt the temple of God so that they could resume their purpose as the chosen people of God living in the presence of God. But they didn't keep moving forward after the construction. They became complacent. They said, we did the thing we were made to do, and then they made it, instead of the center of their lives, a part of their lives, a, a, a side thought. Something that exists in their lives, but not in front of it. Look at the book of Ezra, 
chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. Ezra was the prophet who lived in Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah, and he had gone back and had led the rebuilding of the temple. His book talks about that. It's a great story. But look at this portion. It's a little bit, I'll explain it in a minute. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and the Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the lands. They've taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites and Ammonites and Moabites and Egyptians and Amorites. It's nice to have the Egyptians in there to break up all the ites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. One of the laws that God gave to the people of God through Moses was that they would keep themselves completely separate, that they would only pursue God and that they would remain God's people. Now listen, this is not a racial problem. Don't, don't take this out of context. It's not talking about, in fact, many of the people groups listed here can look at Abraham as a common ancestor. They were of the same race. The problem wasn't their race, it was their spiritual lineage. You see, what, what, what God was trying to protect them from was to be married, to let the most intimate relationship in their life be with somebody who did not have the same spiritual pursuits, the same, same beliefs, the same hearts, who did not follow the same God. See, what God knew is that if we join ourselves in marriage to somebody whose spiritual beliefs are completely different than ours, that we allow what they believe to enter into our hearts as well. And it can distract us from the one who has saved us. That was why he wanted to keep them separate, but they didn't. They, they had already been intermarrying through their time in captivity, and they kept going forward in that way. They rebuilt their temple, but through this season and all these people they were allowing in, they were bringing idols and other religions and beliefs into their homes, and then eventually into the temple of God, the place that was built for him and for his presence to dwell. In our lives, so often, we get into our purpose, but instead of positioning our life in alignment with that purpose and making it the main thing, the one thing that we pursue, we make it a small part of our lives and let other idols in. We let other things enter into the picture that distract us from the thing that we're supposed to be doing. We allow subcategories to enter into the picture that distract us from what we were created to do, and it leads to us falling complacent in the things that matter the most. Last thing that happened to the people of Israel is they allowed people to get in the way. And we do this too, don't we? We, we have a vision, we have a dream, we have a purpose, there's something in front of us, but then people get in the way. The people who have influence in our lives have a power to propel our dreams forward or overshadow them before they ever get off the ground. So often, we let people stand in the way of our potential without ever saying a word. We draw assumptions about how they will respond based on our past experiences. Voices that spoke shame over us in our past keep coming back when we think about our future, and it results in us missing out on the good things that God has for us just because we assume a future challenge based on a past one. People become excuses that stand between us and the vision that God is calling us to. Here's my hope for this series. 
that you would come to understand that God has a dream for your life, that you have a purpose, and that there is a grand vision ahead of you, that no matter where you are in life right now, that there is a purpose available to each of us if we can learn how to focus, if we can get past all these distractions, these shortfalls, these things that we invite to get in the way, there is a life ahead of us grander than anything we can imagine for ourselves. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There are so many stories throughout the pages of Scripture of God doing bigger things in people than they ever thought or imagined was possible. And they are cheering us on in the very same things that God wants to do through us. We just have to learn how to put off the things that are holding us back. So let's look into this story some and see what we can do now in order to move forward. After decades of complacency, God broke the heart of Nehemiah for the city of Jerusalem. Look at the story's beginning in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Something happened inside of Nehemiah. Something broke. Something shifted forever the moment he heard that story. He discovered passion. First thing that we need to do to keep our focus is we've got to discover passion. That the very thought of what was happening in the place of his ancestors, it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Maybe you had a moment when you heard something or you saw something or you experienced something and it absolutely broke you and changed you forever. I was 22 years old and I was in the Coast Guard. I was on a boat called the Coast Guard Cutter Venturous. We would deploy for a few months at a time. And I was on that boat with 84 men and only one other Christian. And ironically, his name was Pope. And so me and Pope, the Pope, we decided we would have a Bible study while we were underway because we're new Christians and we were going to save this boat. Come on, somebody. Do our best. And so we had this Bible study, and, and uh, uh, actually about 10 guys showed up, which we were very surprised. It was more of a morbid curiosity. They're like, what happened to Red Wine, and why is he doing this? And we, we had this Bible study. We didn't know what to talk about. We, we were brand new Christians. I had only been in church for three months before we got underway. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I just decided in the first couple of weeks, we would just go around and give everybody the opportunity to share their story as it related to church and Christianity, just to have an understanding of where everybody's baseline was. And as these guys went around and shared these stories, I realized that there was a piece of my story in each one of theirs. 
I assumed that I was alone in how disconnected I had felt from the message of the church and Christianity. You see, I, I grew up and I just I struggled with what I could see in the culture that I lived in, and I didn't know I didn't understand it, and and I, and I didn't I didn't connect with it. And every one of these guys was talking about people in the church that had hurt them, or practices of the church that had hurt them, or ways they didn't connect with Christianity. And I realized that we were a lot alike, that we had experienced and seen some of the same things. And as they all went around, something inside of me woke up. I remember after that second week that we did this, I walked outside and sat on the back of the ship staring out at the sea. And I had sensed a few months earlier that God was calling me to be a part of a church, to work at a church, to go into what they call full-time ministry. I didn't know what that really meant. It was definitely not the dream I had for my life. It seemed a little bit lame to be truthful. I didn't look good in ties, and I thought, how am I going to do this for a living? And, 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 I, and I didn't know what it really meant. But on that night, as I sat there on the back of that boat, I realized that God had called me and created me to, make, to start a church for people like me, for people who were tired and broken and burned out, who didn't feel like they belonged anywhere or had a place, that I felt right then and there, something inside of me broke permanently. It woke up. It was a passion that still fuels everything that we do here today. It woke up that moment. Isaiah, one of the prophets, he had this unique experience of seeing the throne room of God. And it made him realize how desperately his people, the people of Israel, needed the presence of God. His response when he sees the throne room of God is, Woe is me, for I am an eye of unclean lips, and I am from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of God. He, he immediately realized that those people that he was leading, that he was with every day, desperately needed an encounter with God the way that he was encountering God. And the voice of God says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah just responds the only way he can to the passion that is waking up inside of him. He says, Here I am. Send me. That was the same call I heard. It's the same call Nehemiah hears when he hears about this wall being broken down, the people of God in the city of God in desperation. And Nehemiah says, I'm here, God, I'm ready. Send me. Passion woke up inside of him. Maybe you've never had passion light up inside of you before. You've never experienced it. You don't know what that brokenness feels like. I would encourage you to pursue it. I would encourage you to search for it to look for it. Go, go engage in the local church and serve a cause. Go through growth track. Look at how God made you and then begin to look within that design to find the purpose he made you with. Maybe you have already experienced this. Maybe passion has awakened within you. You've had a moment, but you're not really sure what to do next. Once passion wakes up inside of us, it's time to develop a vision. Develop your vision. So Nehemiah hears this report and his heart is broken. Passions ignited inside of him. What does he do next? What do we do next? What do we often do next? What do we usually do? We, uh, we go and try to do something about it. Passion wakes up inside of us and we try to change the world that day. We can do this. 
We let our passion carry us towards some grand gesture. And we go all in for a little while. But things don't change. And we don't feel like we're making a difference. We get tired and we get burned out. And then our purpose becomes complacent. And then we give up and we move on. Oh, we just keep doing a little bit of whatever we were doing while we continue to do what we were doing before. Or we do something about what we find our passion in, but over time it gets less and less and less. See, the problem is we're pursuing our vision before we are ready or before the time is right. And we're pursuing our passion first when we should be pursuing Jesus first. Moses did this. If you don't know the story of Moses... He was found in a basket by one of the daughters of Pharaoh and raised in the palace of Pharaoh as a prince. Disney got it sort of right. It's something like that. If you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, it's along those lines. And he raises, he's raised in the, in the, in the, in the palace, in the palace, palace and castle of the Pharaoh. What a remarkable way to live, except he realizes, he finds out, he's told, he discovers that he is a son of one of the Hebrew slaves and something inside of him snaps. Something wakes up, passion ignites, and he decides to change the world that moment. Goes outside and he's walking amongst his people and he sees what's happening there and there's a Hebrew slave being beat by an Egyptian and he thinks, I can change the world right now. And he goes over to that place and he kills that Egyptian slave driver and that immediately sends him into exile for decades. See, his passion was good. What he wanted to do was along the right lines. God created him to deliver his people from slavery. But he had not taken time to pray, to plan, or to prepare. He jumped the gun because of his passion, and it led him down the wrong path. Maybe something similar has happened in your life. Passion woke up inside of you, and you rushed into something. Sometimes... It's the wrong thing. Sometimes it's just the wrong timing. And it blows up in our face. And we end up someplace we were never meant to be. Look at what Nehemiah does differently. In verse 4 of the chapter 1, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Anytime you see a prayer written down in the Bible, you need to know there were thousands of prayers that preceded it. You need to know that you're not getting the whole picture. They're giving you a highlight reel that Nehemiah spent months 
praying prayers that led him to this one. This is more of a declaration than a prayer. He's been stewing on it. He's been praying over it. He's been planning over it. He's been letting God grow this passion and put a vision in front of his purpose. And he's now ready to do something about it. Chapter 2 opens by saying, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for the king, I took the wine and gave it to the king. That was four or five months after Nehemiah heard this report about the city of Jerusalem. He let some time pass. He didn't jump into it. He didn't rush. He prayed. He fasted. He planned. He prepared. Rael and I felt called to start a new church, and God gave us a vision and a passion and a purpose to do it right here in this city, but we didn't try to do it right away. A lot of people do, and a lot of people, a lot of churches don't make it. They do not fail for lack of vision or purpose or calling. That is not usually the case. They fail for a lack of planning and preparation. We spent two years planning Preparing, praying, fasting over what God would do with the passion he woke up inside of us. Nehemiah spent months praying, planning, preparing, fasting over what God would do with him. He took the time necessary to turn his passion into a vision. I'm using three words this morning I want to define for you real quick. Because they're similar but not the same. Passion, vision, and purpose. Passion, vision, and purpose. Passion is that raw feeling inside of you that you need to harness. Purpose is the thing you were placed on this earth to do. The culmination of the passions and the gifts and the experiences in your life. And vision is how you're going to use your passion to accomplish your purpose. Vision is the white rabbit that is keeping you moving in the right direction. When you discover your purpose, our goal is to give you the opportunity to begin to use that purpose right away. Here's what we believe. We believe the local church is the hope of the world. That it's what Jesus was building when he was spending all that time with his disciples. That it's what they did when, they, when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came to them at Pentecost. Their next steps were clear. Go lead the world in a global movement called the local church. We believe it's the hope of the world, that the local church is not about a pastor or a platform or or musicians. It's not this. The local church is people. It's all of us. It's a bunch of different gifts and purposes coming together to transform nations and generations. And what we believe is that by getting engaged in the local church, by jumping on the dream team, you're not just volunteering. We believe you're fulfilling the, the purpose that God created you with. That's just what we are, we are convicted of. And so what we want to do is get you on the dream team serving in your purpose. But what we will not do is call you to too much too soon. We want to make sure that as God grows passion inside of you, that as you discover your purpose, that there is the right amount of time given to develop and grow that purpose. If inside of you is a passion for hospitality and for seeing people welcomed and connected into the family of God, we're not gonna just put you in in charge of our whole First Impressions team. That's all the greeters and 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 the 
Connect Center and the coffee team and the parking team. We're not going to just put you in authority over everybody. What we're going to do is get you engaged on the team and give you opportunity to grow your purpose. And our hope is that God will place a dream in your heart and call you to something bigger. And we're going to partner with you in that. That's what we want to do. We believe that prayer is an essential part of this process. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11, it says, Seek the Lord and His strength and seek Him continually. You need to understand that if God is calling you to something, it's going to be bigger than anything you can do. That the dream that He places in your heart, that the purpose He makes you with is a purpose that requires His power. That you need to be asking for His strength and you need to be doing it daily so that we can step into who He's created us to be and do what He's called us to do. We also believe that the things that He's going to call us to do, the dreams, the visions, the things that He's going to place in front of us are going to take more wisdom than we have. It says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. You've got to pray for wisdom. You've got to pray for strength. You've got to let his Holy Spirit grow in power inside of you and gift you so that you can step into the things he's called you to do. It takes time. You've got to let him develop what he's doing inside of you. When we try to pursue a purpose without allowing God to develop something inside of us, it leads to complacency because we get frustrated because we're just trying to do it with everything we've got and you're made to do it with everything he's got. Once we take time and develop our purpose and pray over that passion and grow that vision, then it's time to do something, which means it's time for us to demolish excuses. Demolish excuses. There is a balance between taking time to pray and plan and prepare and delaying because you are afraid. Stepping into our purpose can be scary. New challenges, fear of failure, fear of it not offering the fulfillment that we need it to, fear of people getting in the way, voices from our past or our present in our heads constantly leading us to doubt ourselves. Nehemiah's job was cupbearer to the king. That means he ate and drank the king's food and wine to test it for poison. What a great job, don't you think? I mean, good food, but high risk. So he had a relationship with the king of Persia, the most powerful man in the world. And he gets the opportunity to have face time with the king of Persia. Look what happens next. It says, in the month of Nisan, uh, in the 20th year of King, oh, it's not how you say it, but it's funner to say that. King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my, you know, it's okay to be afraid when you're stepping into your purpose. You should be. There should be some fear in you. But courage is not just not being scared. It's having the ability to act even when you are. He says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? 
You know, there was no reason for the king of Persia to be asking one of his servants what he wanted in that moment. This is what will happen when you take time to pray and plan and prepare. While you are praying and planning and preparing, God will be preparing for you. He will go ahead of you. He will make a way where there was not a way previously. He will open doors that were long shut. He will open up opportunities that should not exist. There was no reason for the king to take this compassion on Nehemiah except that the Spirit of God was leading him to. What is it that you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. You need to know that if it's not impossible to accomplish this thing that's in front of you, that the vision isn't from God. That if it's not this, this great task that will require the supernatural, that it's from you, it's not from him. There are going to be things that don't make any sense in front of you. There are going to be plenty of reasons to say no, plenty of reasons to say this can't happen, plenty of reasons to say he can't be using me for this. This can't be the vision he's putting on my life because it's just too big for my life. This couldn't be the way it should be. But even the king had favor on one of his servants to go and rebuild a city that was destroyed for its rebellion. you got to understand this. And then he says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me a safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king also sent officers and a cavalry with me. Do you understand the insanity of this story? This does not make any sense. The king of Persia is financing the rebuilding of a city that was destroyed for rebellion. In fact, in Ezra chapter 4, it says that King Artaxerxes initially said no to the rebuilding of the temple because he went into the archives, the history they kept, and discovered that Jerusalem had been a rebellious and powerful city. That it had rebelled against many powerful kings and empires before him. And yet he allowed them to rebuild the temple after all. And now Nehemiah, one of his servants, is asking him not only to allow him to rebuild the military defenses of this city King Artaxerxes is occupying, but to allow him to rebuild the citadels and the temple, and also, will you pay for it, give me the wood for it, send me an army to keep me safe, tell all your friends to leave me alone, and also I'm going to grab some wood to build myself a nice house while I'm there too, you got me? And the king's like, okay, that all sounds great. Have a good time when you're coming home. This is not how things are supposed to work. But when you are following the vision and the calling that God places on your life, things are not going to make sense. You got to know that there are going to be miracles in every journey. That ahead of you are a lot of yeses that should be noes. You've just got to have the faith to ask the questions. When we moved here to this city, last story, and then I'm done. I'm going, no, I'm going. But when we moved here to this city, 
we began to look for a place to meet. We believed that West Asheville was the place God was calling us for this season, that this was, this was where we were going to go. And as we were in uh, search around West Asheville for a place where we could start a church, we realized that West Asheville does not have an abundance of meeting spaces, that it's just, there's not any, there was nothing. So we were just a couple months away from starting a church and we had nowhere to meet. We drove down State Street one day and we saw a little red brick church that had been renovated and was now occupied by a private school called Rainbow School. Now listen, we looked at it, we prayed over it, but we just knew there was no reason for these guys to say yes to us. We, we didn't have a church yet. We, we had no, we, if they asked to show them financial like uh, predictions, we didn't have any. We didn't have any way to show that we could, we could do what we were, we were called here to do. We, we knew that this church, that this school had no reason to allow us to meet there because they did not need any financial assistance. It was a private school. They were doing fine. They didn't need our rent money. We knew that the school had a fundamentally different value system and belief system than a Christian church would. That honestly, there was just a lot of reasons for them to say no to us. And so it would have been very easy for us to say, there's no point in asking there. That's just not going to work. But we just decided to move in faith to believe that God can give us yeses where there should be noes. We went into the office, and we sat down, we said, hey, we're a church, there's about 25 of us now, and we would love to rent your facility each week to worship here, to make it a house of God. I, need, I know that, you know, that this is, a, this is a, you guys, that, that's, we believe different things, and that's okay. I just need you to know that the reason we're coming here is because we believe God has called us to this community, to this city, because he wants to see marriages restored. He wants to see broken hearts healed. We believe God's called us here because there are addictions that need to be broken. There are, there are too many people that are lonely who are in desperate need of community. And so we're just coming to this neighborhood to see what God can do here. And they were like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Oh, why not? What should we charge you? You're asking me? Almost nothing. <laughs> They said, yes, I just need, I just tell you that story because so often we say somebody's no for them. We, we, we just answer before they ever get the opportunity. You need to give God the opportunity to show you he is with you. You need to give him the opportunity, give him the chance to remind you that if he has called you to it, he's going to see you through it. On the other side of every battle is victory when you are following the one who calls us. And so we've got to start asking harder questions. We've got to start taking bigger risks, bigger chances. We've got to let that, that vision, that purpose guide us and keep moving us forward because there are bigger things in store for you and in store for your life and in store for this city than anybody ever imagined possible. And so we're going to pursue it together. I love this story of Nehemiah. It is one of my favorite books of all the scriptures. It's an amazing story. I can't wait to share with you what God does next in his life. You're going to have to come back next week. You're going to have to hear this. You've got you to come back next week to know what God is doing next. I'm telling you, it's amazing. We're going to focus in this year. We're going to let purpose drive us this year. We're going to get a vision that's going to move us into the next step, the next step of our lives, the next stage. I believe there are big things that right here in this room are people that are going to change this community, this city, and it'll never be the same because of the dreams God is waking up inside of each one of us. 
So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for creating us with dreams for us, God, for having an assignment for us, God, for having a purpose for us, God. Lord, we thank you that you've gifted us for these things, God, that, that there is a passion inside each one of us waiting to be woken up. So God, I just ask, Lord, this morning, Father, that you would, every person who has a passion would have a person that would guide them and lead them in harnessing that passion. That God, through, through your church, Father, you would bring us together to use our gifts together to pursue a better future than we ever imagined, Lord. God, I pray over every purpose and every vision in this room that, God, you would increase it, that you would grow it, Lord, that you would just lead us to know and believe that the impossible is in front of us because you are the one taking us there. God, I just ask, Lord, for every person in this room who is still searching for their why, that you would just wake them up, God, that you would whisper into their hearts, there is more. There is more for you. There is, there is more in this life. There is more after this life. And that, God, you would get them on this journey alongside you. We love you. We worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.